Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I have the exciting pleasure of sitting down with Linya Floyd, who's an award-winning journalist and editor, ghostwriter, speaker, and media coach. Linya, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on. Before we get into all the questions, why don't you take us through your career journey leading up to today? I would love to. And it all starts off with a little bit of purple prose and a $50 check, or at least I think it was $50 back then. Um, I would say that this all started around (laughs) the sixth grade for me, because that was when I wrote a story. And it was just for class, but my teacher ended up submitting it to a national magazine of children's writing. And she pulled me aside after class one day and she said, hey, I just want to let you know that I submitted this. They accepted it. They're going to publish it and you're going to get paid for it also. And I remember just kind of being blown away in the sixth grade thinking, wow, "Wow, I did something super fun. I love doing this writing thing and people actually get paid for it, Um, which was really exciting because earlier that year we had had I had been in a meeting with some teachers and I remember one of the teachers asked us as a group you know all the students you know what do your parents want you to be when you grow up and she said if they want you to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that raise your hand and I remembered raising my hand for that and then they said okay now if they want you to be whatever you want to be or whatever makes you happy raise your hand and I thought oh wait hold on. (laughs) I mean, they're great people and I'm sure they want me to be happy, (laughs) but I thought everybody's supposed to want to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I bring up that story, both of those stories, because a lot of us as adults lose touch with what we wanted to do or what we wanted to be. And And that comes up so powerfully when we are kids. It's so strong. It could be that you constantly got lost in doing some task for hours on end. It was just so much fun, but it actually was work. Or it was that thing that people praised you for, or it's that thing that was always effortless to you, but was work to other people. Or that thing that somebody else notices in you (laughs) and then submits your story to a national magazine and gets you paid. Um, and that's what it was for me. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people listening who think back to that younger self and something comes up for them. Uh, and that was a recurring event for me throughout my childhood. It happened again in high school this time. The first time it was this sci-fi fantasy that I'd kind of written about life in New York city. Um, this, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. Uh, the second time it was a poem that I wrote, uh, in high school and, uh, my teacher said, sent it to a local paper uh, that ended up printing it. They came out, they did a little photo shoot with me. And I thought, oh, wait, hold on a second. You can write things and then people will be interested in you as an individual and you'll get some publicity or some PR around that. All of this will uh, tie together later in the story, obviously. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so that was another exciting time. And yeah. then I just, I went off to college. I went to Harvard. I graduated uh, with a degree in English. My English classes were like my A's that I were pulling in. I was pulling in. I was like, this is great. Now, how do I 
put dollar signs behind these words. And I had two options. I had applied to Columbia Journalism School because I thought, hey, if I'm going to do this journalism thing, let me get the strongest foundation I possibly can going out into this world. And then I had also applied for an internship at the at the Associated Press. Uh, which for, if people don't know what that is, that is a wire service. Um, so, uh, wire services provide content to, you know, tens of thousands, maybe probably more newspapers and, you know, online outlets across the country. Right. So we would write the stories and then we would send them out and other journalists could add to them or just print them as is for whatever outlet they were um representing. And I said to myself, huh, I've got two options here. You know, one, I could pay someone to teach me or two, I could get paid to learn. (laughs) And I bring that up because that doesn't just happen when you're fresh out of college. That also, that happens throughout your career, right? We all have in our professions, opportunities to get paid to learn. We just have to seek them out uh, or notice them when they're happening. And that's what I decided to do, right? Everybody comes out of college with debt. Why, did, why should I you know, incur more debt? So I decided to go with the internship at the Associated Press. Uh, I got to stay in Boston for a little while longer, which was great. But most of all, I got to have a job that taught me really important foundational skills when it comes to journalism, how to report quickly, how to report accurately, how to report fairly and without bias. And I got to report on a variety of different things. I was doing court reporting, you know, for mob trials. I was on the scene of accidents that happened in downtown Boston. It was the whole nine yards. And I will, (laughs) um, as a fun aside, say that I had to, you had to have a driver's license for this job. So as a New Yorker, I had no intention of getting a driver's license. (laughs) But for this, I had to, and that's why I have one to this day. Thank you. And so after I finished that internship, I thought, this is fantastic, but it's not exactly what I'm looking for. I want something more creative. I don't want to have to write three, two to three stories a day. I don't want to have to... Yeah, it's a real hustle, right? It's a real hustle. It's a real skill. And there's a lot of pressure to it, which isn't to say there isn't pressure to other journalism jobs, but you know, this is high intensity. And I wanted to be able to really spend time with the words. I wanted to be able to do more storytelling. Yeah. And I said, I think I want to work in magazines. I want a little bit of a slower pace. So I came home to New York City and I started sending out resumes and I got my first job in women's magazines working for Glamour Magazine, which was absolutely as spectacular and glamorous as it sounds. You know, I'm at this 48-story glass and metal skyscraper (laughs) in Times Square, and, you know, celebrities and famous people are coming in and out. In fact, riding the elevator at... Condé Nast, which is the company that owns um, owns Glamour, was so storied that there was actually a Twitter feed devoted to it at one time. It was like a secret Twitter feed where they would talk about conversations people have in the elevator at at Condé Nast, <laughs> and the woman had to shut it down because they they were on the heels of figuring out who she was, and obviously people were getting a little embarrassed. <laughs> but um, 
Glamour was right. a spectacular experience in women's magazines. I got to interview famous people like Vanessa Williams and Barbara Walters and, you know, the U.S. Olympic athletes. Uh, but more than anything, I got to see the tremendous impact that magazines and writing can have on people. It was so incredible getting to work at Glamour as my first job in women's magazines because I got to try a lot of different things out. I wrote finance stories. I wrote um, career stories. I wrote, you know, different types of stories. I wrote celebrity stories. You know, I wrote trend stories. But the one department that I got to work in that I was the most passionate about was the health and wellness department. And writing stories and working on articles for health and wellness was so impactful because I realized it was the one place in the magazine where you not only got to change people's lives, but you also had the potential to save people's lives. And people would email us, you know, they'd send us letters saying, thank goodness you wrote an article about fill in the blank disease or fill in the blank um, condition. I had no idea what was happening to my body. Or uh, you reminded me that I haven't gotten a mammogram lately and I went to get one and they caught something. And that level of impact really impressed me, really excited me and ignited something in me. And I said, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be writing this health content for people so that we can really, so that I can have this ripple effect of helping people get the information that they need, get the motivation that they need, and potentially be out here saving people's lives because magazines reach millions of people every single month. That kind of ripple effect is undeniable. It was so incredibly powerful. So I was so excited about that. And I decided this is what I'm going to do from here on out. So every time I got another magazine job after that, as I kind of worked my way up the magazine ladder, I was really intent on being a health, you know, working in the health department, being a health editor. And what ended up happening is that with each job I had, I was still talking to women. I was very passionate about women um, and speaking to that audience, although now I write for you know, diverse audiences. But at the time, I wanted to focus on women and health. And so every time I did so, I just ended up speaking to women at different stages in their lives. So, or women, you know, different types of women. So I, I worked at magazines like Heart and Soul and Essence, which are geared towards African-American women. I worked at Parents and Family Circle, which are, uh, sorry, Parenting and Family Circle, which are geared towards uh, obviously mothers, uh, but mothers of kids who have different ages. I worked at 17 Magazine, so talking to teenagers there, but always focusing on health and wellness and the impact that I could have there. Uh, And my second job, after I left Glamour, I was able to get a job as a health editor at 17 Magazine, which again, is as fun and and exciting as you probably think it sounds, you know, squeezing (laughs) down the hallways with rows and rows of prom dresses and gorgeous shoes. You know, our conference room at the time would always have celebrities in like girl bands, boy bands, you know, stopping by to say hello and take pictures with us and reaching out to millions of, of, you know, teenagers across the country. But I was focused on their health and wellness, right? And they would write into us 
with all these questions about what was happening to their bodies or really serious problems that they were having at home and not understanding, you know, who, who could they talk to about this fears around being pregnant, the whole, you know, the whole thing. Uh, but with 17 magazine, uh, that was my, that was my step into realizing the importance of outreach and the importance of PR and the importance of media because 17 at the time that I was working with them had a problem and that problem was competition. So, and everybody can relate to this, right? No matter what industry you are in, you have to think about the competition. And unfortunately, at the time when I started working at 17, competition was on the rise. So when teenagers were deciding what magazine they wanted to pick up or what website they were wanted to go to, it used to be a smaller field, but that field was getting bigger and bigger. Teen Vogue came out, Cosmo Girl came out, L Girl, all of these formerly only women's magazines said, hey, let's come out with a teen version of what we're doing and get even more subscribers. Um, And then there was the juggernaut that we were terrified of, you know, that was about to be crowned homecoming queen, essentially, of the industry, teen people. They were, you know, because they had the celebrities and everything. And that was our problem, the competition. The solution or one of the solutions for us was media. We have to get out. We have to get our editors out into the media talking about all the incredible things that we are doing at this magazine, all the amazing projects that we have going on where we're actually going out to schools and doing outreach with them. All the partnerships that we have with really huge organizations that are geared towards helping teenagers. Like we have to let them know what was coming out in every issue, who the celebrities, what the great advice was going to be. And so one of the things that we decided right. to do was to double down on publicity. And I am embarrassed to say that when I was at 17 magazine, I got really good at doing one thing. And that one thing was saying no to publicity. <laughs> and, and I just, I had all these fears <laughs> around it. And to this day, I can remember sitting in my office typing away at my computer and out of the corner of my eye, I could see our PR director standing in the, standing in my, you know, standing in my doorway, just like waiting for a chance to be like, Hey, Linya, <laughs> you know, are you free tomorrow at four o'clock to do this TV segment? Or Hey, Linya, <laughs> what are you doing on Saturday morning? Because we'd love to have you on this TV show. Uh, who wants to hear more about the magazine? And when I, as soon as I caught a glimpse of her, I would just, Start coming up with every single possible reason to say no to her. Working on a huge project. Oh, there's a birth family birthday, family event this weekend. There's no way that I can do this. I'm so sorry. Because I was just, I worked in the media. I was super comfortable with that. I loved being the one asking the questions and writing the stories. But the idea of being on the other side of that microphone. was totally terrifying. And it was just wave after wave for me (laughs) of all those fears that come up for 
all of us, right? This, the 75% of people who are afraid of public speaking, it's all of this that comes up for us, right? What if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? What if I freeze up and don't say anything for too long and it's super awkward? What if I make a mistake? What if I embarrass not only myself, but the company that I work for, right? What if I blow this? So it's constantly coming up with reasons to not do this. And I know I was frustrating the heck out of her because she really wanted to get people on camera. She wanted those talking heads. And I have to say that I was incredibly resistant to it for a very long time until my next job, which was a job that I started. And day one, they said, Hey, we think that you'd be really great on, um, we think you'd be really great on television and in media. We'd love to get you some media training. And I said, media training, what's that? So yet another wonderful situation where somebody sees something and they're like, we think we can do this. (laughs) We're going to put you in front of the camera. Um, And that three hour session that I had with someone was absolutely a game changer. I wouldn't be talking to you. I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now if I hadn't had that three hour session with that media coach who answered all the questions, erased all the fear and got me to a place where, you know, they say that fear is excitement without the breath. This training got me to a place where I could breathe, where I could actually enjoy what was happening, enjoy this process and get into the excitement phase of being in front of a camera or being in front of a microphone. And that was an absolute game changer. And as soon as I learned that skill, the answer was always yes. The answer was never, the answer was what can I cancel so so that I can do this last minute (laughs) segment, you know, for the today show or for local television or what have you, or so I can do this radio segment or what have you. I really absolutely fell in love with it. And I'm so grateful for that one three hour portion of my life that really switched everything over. Uh, And It's so important, you know, as I tell this story, I'm really mindful of the fact that a lot of people who are listening here are going to be thinking, oh, this doesn't really apply to me because I don't want to be in front of a camera. Maybe you don't right now, or, you know, I don't want to do PR. However, the beauty of those skills that you pick up in media coaching is that they transfer to absolutely everything. So the next time you have to uh, present a pitch deck or the next time you're at a networking event or the next time you are on a sales call or the next time you have to speak for your organization at a virtual event or even an in-person event or if they're doing a summit, all of those skills support you in showing up as your absolute best when you get opportunities like that. So it's incredibly powerful. Uh, and once I did that, I was nonstop. You know, every time an outlet that I worked for needed me to do PR, I was raising my hand. It was super exciting. Uh, and uh, I was at Family Circle magazine when um, I was doing it today. I was doing a segment for the Today Show. And 
it went really well. I was really excited about it. It was um, for Heart Disease Awareness Month. So I've been, you know, talking about signs and symptoms of um, heart attacks that can be different for women and, you know, how to have better heart health, all of those things. And I remember I got back to the office. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun also when you do, do the Today Show. They put you in a, um, a black car after, you know, after your segment and they, you know, <laughs> takes you back to work. So I went back to the office and I walked in and we had an editorial assistant who ran up to me and she said, Lydia, um, we had a call. We, you know, people have been saying how great your segment was. I was like, Oh, thank you. We had a call from somebody and they had a question for you. I was like, Oh, I love this, right? This is impact right here. And so they said, they, they said they love the segment. They loved everything that you had to say about heart disease and they're absolutely going to get themselves checked out. They want to know where you bought your glasses. (laughs) And I said, what? Said, well, okay. I'm glad she wants to to get herself checked out. Um, and my glasses are super fly, but what is missing here? And I realized that yes, media is extraordinarily powerful, right? When I was at Seventeen Magazine, we so when I was at uh, Family Circle, we had a circulation of like 18 million at one point. And you add on top of that the millions of people that you reach doing te- doing television, particularly. Wow you know, one of the top TV shows like, like the Today Show, right? So that outreach is, is huge, right? It's exponential, right? Um, however, I also realized that for real behavior right. change, sometimes you need that one-on-one approach. Sometimes you need to sit down with somebody in a more intimate setting. And it was at that moment right. in time that I said, maybe I want to brush up on some one-on-one skills. I think I'm interested in health coaching because then I can do both things. I can exponentially increase my reach, but I can also touch people on a one-on-one basis and really learn the science of behavior change. What it, you know, the art of motivational coaching, what does it actually take for someone to go from reading an article or hearing you on TV and saying, yes, I need to do this to actually taking that step and doing it. Uh, So I researched different coaching programs across the country. I ended up deciding to go to Duke Integrative um, Health for my coaching and got certified through them. Then I took the National uh, Medical Board exam for health and wellness coaches so I could get nationally certified. And I started doing it along with the you know, nine to five job that I had writing and working in magazines. I also started this side hustle of one-on-one work coaching individuals. And I tried to weave in everything that I was learning about what it takes to create behavior change in people into the stories that we were writing and into um, the presentations that I would give. And it was absolutely, I mean, when you want to talk about people having breakthrough moments and crying on the phone or gasping on the phone with you, or, um, say, you know, people would say things like, I've never said this to any, I haven't even told my husband this linea, but you know, fill in the blank, you know, whatever that thing was, it was incredibly powerful. And it was also really motivating to know that in addition to being able to make and create change, on this massive scale, I was also able to do it on this very personal and one-on-one and behind the scenes and kind of more private scale. Um, And it introduced me to the world of coaching and to other coaches. (laughs) And so I was at a, a mixer 
her coaches at one point and I bumped into somebody who was a media coach and I was like, what's a media coach? And she started telling me about what she did. And I, it was at that moment that I realized, oh, wow, I have been working in the media. I have been working at magazines forever thinking that people know how to contact me. That if somebody has a story to tell that they want to share, if somebody is noticing some trend in the media, if somebody has thought leadership that they want to share, they know how to find me. They're going to find me. And what I learned from this woman was that, nope. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Uh, Nope. There are, are tons of people out there who have these great ideas, but they think of people in the media, people who are segment bookers, people who are editors, people who are journalists as just out of their reach that they would be bothering them by reaching out to them and pitching a story idea, or they don't even know how to go about doing it. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I get so many pitch letters every single day. I can't believe that there are more people out there who want to send these to me that could be fantastic, but they don't know how to do it. Um, And so I ended up, we kept in touch. I started working, just doing some freelance work for her on the side. And then I decided this is something that I'm ready to make a transition. This is something that I want to do full time. So I started working for her for full time for a couple of years. And this was prior to the pandemic Um, and during the during the pandemic also. So I left the corporate world, uh, you know, did that classic. I took a picture of my super clean, you know, Clorox down, empty desk, final goodbye, you know, nine o'clock at night because I wanted everything to be left perfectly (laughs) on my last day um, for the handoff for whoever the next person was. And I started working from home. And, you know, I am so grateful for that because this happened before everybody else did it. So when lockdowns happened and people started working from home, it was old hat for me. I already had my ergonomic chair. I already had my, you know, I already had my setup. I already had my microphone. I knew what Zoom was. I was on it all the time. <laughs> you know, all of those things. Um, and I did that for several years. And then I had some life changes that wanted that made me want to reclaim even more of my time. I wanted to be able to show up more. And I think that people listening will be able to relate to this in a variety of different ways. I wanted to be able to show up more powerfully for my parents, but I know a lot of people are in situations where they want to show up more powerfully for their relationship or for their children or for themselves, right? <laughs> so it's it can be absolutely anything. And I wanted to have more control over my time. Right. You know, one of the reasons that I left the corporate world was one, I wanted more control over my time. But two, I also wanted to be able to focus on the things that I loved doing the most. And I truly believed that I could do better for Linya than someone else could. And I said, let me give Linya a shot <laughs> doing better for Linya right. um, and have never looked back since then. Uh, <sighs> and so in an attempt to get even more time to myself, I, you know, I left the other coach that I was working with and just started working on my own media coaching, not only for individuals who are entrepreneurs, those are the individuals that I work with who they have a great business. It could be absolutely anything, um, but they have this great business. They're a small business owner who wants to get more attention on their business. And one of the ways that we do that, just like I did at 17, was helping them get PR, figuring out what their messaging is, figuring out where their ideal clients and consumers and customers are, and then getting them in front of those individuals on podcasts, in print, 
on websites, on television, so that they can exponentially expand their reach and bring more people coming back to them. And I also do something very similar, something similar with my corporate clients so that those individuals usually have opportunities already. So those are people like I was (laughs) (laughs) who have these opportunities coming to them to be on television, but they need some training to get them up to speed. So they know how to shine as their absolute best. They know how to perform on camera in front of a microphone. So I do for them what somebody did for me many, thankfully many years ago and help them not just perform their absolute best, but also be really confident and maybe even enjoy the experience (laughs) of being on that camera or being in front of a microphone. And it brings me so much joy. Um, The only thing that I didn't mention to you, Peter, is um, is the ghostwriting work that I do. Uh, so I still write for magazines on a freelance basis and I write for myself as well. Very cool. While I was working in magazines though, I did get the inkling, Hey, I, I know these, some of my writers, you know, I was assigning out stories to people constantly, every multiple stories every single month. And I said, some of these people would turn me down because they were writing a book, ghost writing a book. And I said, Oh, that sounds interesting. And I had a little call with one of them. I said, tell me more about that. And I bring this up because I, these types of interactions have the potential to happen for everybody who is listening to this episode right now. There are people around us who are doing fascinating things, whether they talk about them or not, that you might be interested in. And a little bit of curiosity goes a very long way because this is what I spend half of my time doing. (laughs) But prior to having a conversation with one of my writers who was doing it, I was just like, oh, that's not for me. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So I had that conversation with her and then I said, oh, this is kind of interesting. She said, oh, I'm happy to introduce you to my agent, um, which she did. And I started a very, this was, this was a, this was the, I was in this for the long haul, right? This was, this was the long term. I just wanted to start the relationship with her, introduce her to my, introduce myself to her, get her familiar with my writing. But of course, her first question was, what books have you ghostwritten? I was like, nothing yet, you know, but please keep me in mind, (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe you have somebody who's looking for a real bargain. I'll do it at a discount. <laughs> uh, you know, or maybe, you, you know, and she did end up calling me. It wasn't that year. I think it was a, a year later. And she said, I have somebody who needs some blog posts ghostwritten. Is that something, health, health oriented blog posts? Is that something you'd be interested in? I was like, absolutely. And that's how I got the ball rolling. Mm. And it's so, for me, everything that I'm doing now you know, the trees that are fully in bloom right now started as these small seeds of things that I did as side hustles, essentially, when I was still working. Whether I, you know, there was one period in time, the first book that I ghost wrote, I started waking up at four o'clock in the morning. I would, uh, now that meant... going to bed at eight or nine o'clock at night, (laughs) but I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning. That gave me an easy four, four and a half hours to write, to work on that book. And then, you know, get dressed, head to my nine to five job, knock it out of the park there, go home, you know, and start the, you know, get some rest, start the cycle again, right? Not ad infinitum. And I didn't do that forever, but so many of the little things, you know, little things then that just had to, you know, I just had to carve out a little bit of time for it. Even the um, health coaching certification, 
Yes. Initially I had to be on campus, you know, at, you know, in North Carolina showing up in person for this for about two weeks. But after that, it was a couple of hours on zoom. And then it was a couple, you know, a couple of hours a week doing the actual work, but it was carving out these small spaces for things that I was really passionate about. So I could plant those seeds early so that later the tree would be there and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. This has been a slow build and a slow burn, but now it's on fire and this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm extremely excited about to make that transition. And I think a lot of people find themselves in situations where they're the frustration and I don't want to do this anymore is already there, but they have no idea what's next. They haven't thought about you know, the sixth grade them and what that kid was doing so crazy about and whether they can come back to it. They haven't, you know, signed up for that course that they do on Wednesday nights for two hours, you know, that could build into something bigger than that. They haven't done that continuing education class that, Hey, maybe your job might even pay for and that you get these extra skills and then suddenly are able to grow from there. And I'm so thankful for all the places in my career where I did that because I was able to leap and it wasn't so much of a leaping without the net. You know, there had been a platform that I was slowly building and reinforcing there over time. And I think that's a really healthy, smart (laughs) uh, way for people to think about making the transitions that they might want to make from whatever their career is now to whatever might be next, no matter where they are in their careers. Absolutely. I I mean, firstly, I mean, a a really amazing journey and one that I want to jump all over the place and ask questions. I'm almost struggling to focus into one space first, but a, a, ton, of that, a ton of that resonates with me so deeply. And I mean, even just paralleling a quick experience that I had, I mean, I think I was in grade three or four, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there was a speech competition in my school. And I wrote a speech mm-hmm. at the time about, and it must've been grade four, because that would have been right around the time Vince Carter won the dunk off. And, and I was obviously, I was a big basketball fan, you know, yeah. living in and around the uh, Toronto area. And I wrote this speech about Vince Carter and I ended up going mm-hmm. to like the finals of my elementary school. Right. Mm. And, and that from there on, right. Level uh, set this kind of floor for me that I was a good speaker yes. and, and it wasn't something that I had hoped to be good at. It was just now something that was established to me as like, I'm good at this. However, I just kind of got the pat on the back and sent on my way, right? And no one, for example, other than internally myself, kind of took that seriously and and, and wanted to build on it, right? But I didn't, like in your case, have, you know, a story or a speech submitted to a publication, which would have given an entirely different level of external validation, right? And and I think having had that um, happened to you a couple of times. Incredible fortune, but also just what a like kudos to some of the people that you had in your life along the way to to put you in those types of positions. I think you mentioned even in high school again, you were kind of had something submitted that got published, and that kind of exposed you to what the publicity looked like. Yes, really exciting, and I think to to leverage those and kind of build off of them, you know, to have the awareness to 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 kind of build off of them and realize it's something you want to do is is. A really important thing because for example i didn't start 
formally practicing and really activating that public speaking skill set in, 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 in the form of like a superpower until at least at the earliest university and really until I got into my professional career, which, mm-hmm. you know, had I started earlier, who knows what could have happened, right? So I'm, yes. I'm curious, like, how aware were you, aside from the fact that it was something you loved doing, that this was going to be something that could really set you apart, regardless of what career journey or you decided to embark on down the line? Oh, I was not aware at all. (laughs) I I mean, I was aware that this was something that I was very passionate about. I was aware that writing was something that I could lose myself in. Um, I was aware. I also, I will also uh, share. I played instruments from the age of five. So I played, I started playing the violin when I was five years old that turned into learning piano, which turned into singing, which turned into performing on stages. Oh, very cool. Um, and very cool, but did not equate that level of comfort being on stage with a level of comfort that I could achieve being in front of a microphone right. or in front of a camera. I thought, Oh, that's different. That, you know, playing something, you know, that I've rehearsed on the violin, that's very different than being, you know, being having three cameras trained on me and talking to you know, Willie Geist on the Today Show. Yeah. So I didn't equate those things and I didn't realize how big a passion could actually get and how it could significantly set you apart from other individuals. So I had no idea. And I think it's also really important to remember for, particularly for a lot of people listening who may have been passionate about something as a child that would be great for them now, but didn't even exist. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, is there something that exists? And, you know, podcasts did not exist right, right, when right. I was in sixth grade. The radio was there, but, you know, that's different. You know, working with AI didn't exist when right. I was a kid, but it's here now. So are there skills that you have um, that you had and still have today, right, um, as a kid that fit into something so beautifully that exists now? And I was not aware at all of ghostwriting. I didn't know I thought everybody wrote their books. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought famous people just carved out time from their famous lives and they wrote <laughs> books. Right. And they happened to be really great writers also. <laughs> quality, right. So many people, I mean, obviously it's a whisper quiet industry, right. but, the, but the percentages are very high. And then you'll see stories, right? Where Prince Harry's, you know, ghostwriter is talking about how difficult it was, you know, working with him at times. And you're like, wait, he didn't write that. Right. <laughs> or, you know, somebody else will, you know, come out of the woodwork. So I didn't even realize what potential could be there because I didn't know it. What's the phrase? You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. There's so much that I didn't know. I was just getting excited about what I did know. And that in and of itself carried me through in so many ways. That's very cool. And, and I'm curious now because I, I, as you kind of articulated going from glamor magazine and to, to the subsequent stops that you had that, uh, you know, right up until when you got media trained at Heart and Soul, there were still opportunities being put in front of you to get in front of the media. Now, obviously, there was, you know, part of potentially like corporate motivations, because like you said, I think it was with Seventeen Magazine that they were really trying to to make an effort out of outreach, right, as a result of some of the competition mm-hmm. they were dealing with. But the reality is, is that people were seeing qualities in you that would do well in front of a camera or out in the public or on a stage, right? a public stage. And so 
in the moment, were you aware of what the qualities were that they were admiring or looking as valuable for those contexts? And I guess if yes, or if not, I'd, and maybe now in hindsight, you, you have a better understanding of that. What exactly were folks kind of recognizing in you that you maybe had naturally that would position you well for those types of opportunities? Because I think there are probably people out there who are listening and are like, I would love to be in that position, but I'm maybe not getting those opportunities. What, what uh, do I need to be doing right, to, put, to make myself attractive for that, right? Absolutely. So one of the things that I would say, the short answer to that question is, even if you are not being spotlit, or even if you aren't being pulled aside for those opportunities, you can still raise your hands for them. Right. Because, and there will be, there will be times where the people who are spotlit are not going to be available. They really will have a family engagement (laughs) or a big project that they're working on. Not the excuses I was making up, but they really will have something and you can step step in um, and sub for them. So you can always raise your hands for these things because part of it is knowing that, Hey, this person has an interest and an enthusiasm in this. Okay, let's see what we can do here. For me, I think that it was an observation of other ways that I showed up in these environments. How does this person show up in meetings? How does this person show up, for example, when we are having you know, a conference? You know, Those are some ways that they may have been paying attention to and saying, hey, I think that there's some more here. Right. The other thing that I will share is, and I think it's really, really important to know, because I actually had, um, <laughs> this was <laughs> foreshadowing, so much foreshadowing here. Um, at one magazine where I was working, I had, uh, I was doing tons of media for them and the um, editor-in-chief pulled me aside in a meeting and she said, listen, you're fantastic. We need more people doing this. Do you think that you could train um, other people on our staff to do this. I'm thinking about, you know, this person and this person. And I said, sure, absolutely. I can, I can train them. Right. Foreshadowing, right. foreshadowing. <laughs> but she said, no, really? Like, do you think that they would be good at this? And I said, anybody can do this. And she said, not everybody can do this like you. Linia. And I said, that's fair. I'm not promising you that they're going to be have the same energy and have the same presence and have the same impact that I do. But I am telling you, anybody can learn the skills to show up as their best on camera in front of a microphone. And I can help them do that. She was like, okay, (laughs) you got it. So you may not, you know, and you don't have to, you don't have to be the best at this, but you have to show up as your best. And on a very basic level, I work with people so that they show up with confidence, right? We don't want to be scared or nervous on camera. Yes, there's going to be butterflies. Butterflies are not necessarily a bad thing. It means we care about what we're doing and we want to show up as our best so they can motivate us. Um, But I want people to show up confident. I want people to show up and have clear messaging, which is a struggle for some people, but it's also something that you can work on. And I really push people to have a purpose behind how they're showing behind behind how they're showing up. right? Right. What is it that you want people to get out of whatever you're doing, this sales presentation, this, you know, summit that you're doing this, you know, PowerPoint that you are leading people through this, this segment that you're doing on television, this podcast, what do you want people to get out of it? And are you being really intentional about making sure that that comes through? So there's some very basic things that I work with people on that help them to show up as their absolute best. 
and it's also really beautiful to see, you know, people transform Absolutely. from, you know, the, <laughs> the caterpillar into the butterfly. I love that. And, and I, you know, selfishly, actually, with through this podcast, I, I love having my own decisions validated or my own behaviors validated. So even as you say, for example, <laughs> it's a huge confidence boost. So uh, as you, for example, articulate that you you advise people to have a purpose in the message they're trying to portray or how they're portraying themselves or the position they're taking. And so folks, for example, ask me my advice on how or through what way they should start a podcast. And my first piece of advice is always your podcast needs to have a purpose to exist, right? Like every, and that purpose has to be worn on its sleeve through every episode, right? And every conversation that you have on there, whether it's a monologue, an interview or otherwise, the purpose has to be clear, right? And not get lost. And, 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 and if, and that way the people for whom that purpose resonates, they will be there and they will listen. Right. And, and so I, I love the fact that that is something that can be consistently transferred or, or universally trans- transferable over to, for example, speaking or writing or otherwise. Right. And, and I think that makes yes. total sense. Um, and I also me- go ahead, please. One of the things that I really try to impress upon my clients, my students, anybody that I'm working with is that time is undeniably our most valuable asset. Right. And when we record a podcast or write a story or on television, we're asking people for their time. Right. them to sit and listen to us for an hour. We're asking them to sit and read this story for five minutes. We're asking them to watch this segment for three minutes, whatever it is, that time is valuable to them. So we have to make sure that we are giving audiences something in exchange for that time. They can't walk away empty handed. And a lot of the times I'll work with people on their podcast appearances. I actually have like a workshop that I do and they will say to me right off the bat, Oh, it's just a conversation. We're just going to have a laid back conversation. And I say to them, yes, it is a conversation that somebody is listening in on, but you have to make it worth their time. Right. So what are we going to do? Let's brush you up. Let's get you, let's get you into shape so that this is a conversation that they both can lean back and listen to, but they also want to lean in and listen. Right. To. Absolutely. I, I think that makes total sense. And what I think also comes out in some of the the things you've said is that the voice, I think, as you were commenting around the fact that people may not be able to have the same energy and presence as you, but that also may not be necessary. They could have their own energy and presence, Absolutely. right? I Absolutely. think I, I, I also, I come off as potentially highly energetic or passionate or maybe even intense to some, right? In certain conversations yes. or presentations or whatever the case is. And that's kind of my trademark, but there are conversely other incredibly successful podcast hosts. I think the one that comes to mind is Lex Friedman, right? This is mm-hmm. a person with millions of followers, mi- millions of listeners, talks to some of the most brilliant people on the planet, and mm-hmm. yet has the most calm, sedate, mm-hmm. almost methodical kind of um, quiet approach to reserved approach to conversation, but it's so thoughtful, right? Yes. And that's what people come to him for that. And, and, and it's, and that there's space for that to exist as well as something more energized or, or more passion driven. Right. And I think that's the beauty of it, that there's a huge spectrum of voices or presence types or archetypes that one can have and still find success. Right. As long as it kind of organizes around a strong enough purpose, which is a very cool kind of takeaway from this. 
And it's important to think about it, Peter, in two ways. One is how you like to show up, right? Because we don't want a bunch of cookie cutters. The world doesn't need a million lineas. We need that variety. So it's important to think about how you show up. And you're absolutely right. There are podcasters who show up with different types of energy. There are people on television. There are newscasters who show up with different types of energy. So you're allowed... you should be tapping into what is your authentic self. How do you show up best? And that's something you can, you can work on that yourself. You can work on that with a media coach. There are many ways to do that. You also need to think about what the message is that you are actually sharing. The energy that you're going to bring to a presentation where you explain to your team that you're actually down in sales this month, but here's what you're going to do <laughs> yeah. to pick it up, is very different right? than the energy that you're going to bring to a presentation where you are saying the opposite. We're up and here's how we're going to keep things going. Right. Or when you're trying to engage your team to learn a new skill. You know, you're going to bring different types of energy and perspective to different messages that you have to share. So you really have to think about both of those things. Um, Think about yourself, but also think about the messaging and also think about the audience, right? Different audiences need different things. When you're on morning television and it's six o'clock in the morning, you know, they always say, you know, take it to a 12 out of 10 <laughs> because right. once it comes across the TV, you're really only going to be a, a seven or an eight. Oh, interesting. So, so it really, you know, and that's different from night, right? Nighttime television. So it really depends on the audience, the message and you yourself. Three things to think about. I makes it. I, I think that is so. That could be easily transferred to uh, corporate leadership style. It could be transferred to team Absolutely. leadership style, right? It, it could be to your point, to sales or whatever the case is. And I think that is totally industry and like profession agnostic, right? This is just yeah. a manner of being. And I, I think that's a super exciting takeaway from this. I, I'd yeah. love to pivot, you know, to another question around, you know, for example, across your career in journalism, in being an editor and a writer, and across different publications. It feels like from the outset, you had immense opportunity to do such a wide spectrum or broad spectrum of different types of things in terms of the topics you wrote about, the experiences you had. And I like to surface the conversation, particularly in very you know uh, different industries around specialization versus being you know a very strong generalist. And mm. I'd love to get your perspective because it sounds like it became an accelerant in your career to be able to now, obviously you ended up focusing in on health and wellness. Absolutely. Yes. As you credentialized yourself, but, but you built that on a foundation of a huge variety of experiences first. And I'd love to understand your perspective on that. I would have to say that I was fortunate enough that I was in a career, I entered into a profession. When I got that first job at Glamour, I was at the bottom rung. Um, You know, I was an editorial assistant. And that means when they need somebody last minute to do something, or when they need, you know, need something done really quickly, or they, you know, finally have a breather after the issue is shipped and they want to 
teach you something. You know, it means I was up for anything. And that allowed me to experience everything. And so it was very easy to very quick and, and, you know, to float around and to talk to people, you know, at other desks. And it was very easy for me. I learned immediately. I can't write fashion copy. That is not for me. I, that is a poetic, um, skill that I do not have, but I absolutely know how to get people interested in a health concern that might seem scary. Right. I know how to give them information that is going to help them speak to their doctor better, communicate better with their doctor, um, understand what's going on in their body better, ask smart questions. I, that I can do. I could, I, you know, I, I would talk to the beauty girls and I would see what they were doing. I was like, this is not for me. Right. <laughs> I just don't care enough about lashes. I just don't <laughs> care. You know, it's, it's also what you care about. Um, and so I was able, you know, because I was on that beginning, beginner's rung, I was able to float around into to a lot of different different departments. Right. Once you get further along in your career, that can be harder to do, but it is not impossible. It just shows up in different ways. It's going, it's taking somebody out for lunch or for coffee as a thinly veiled informational interview or an, a very obvious informational interview to see what their day looks like. It's listening to podcasts. It's right. what, you know, it's it's looking at people's YouTube channels. It is it is just doing more research rather than the actual legwork. I was doing the legwork, trying these things out and you know, I you know, I tried to write something for fashion and get the copy back from the editor who's just like, nope, 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 nope. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I loud and clear got it. <laughs> this is not for me. Yeah. You know, it might be a little easier actually if you are further along in your career to do that, to dip your toes in that water, do that exploration. Um and also, as I was saying before, the side hustle. You know, sometimes right. if you can pinpoint something that you're curious about and use the nights, use the weekends to dip your toes in that, whether it's taking a class or starting a small business or what have you, that can be the information you need to figure out, you know, am I good at this? Or, or is this just fun? Maybe it's not a side hustle. Maybe this is just how I have fun. That's great. Yeah. Or is this my next big career? I love that. And and that is immensely validating. I think I mentioned to you in a previous conversation that I, you know, beyond the podcast, obviously work in, in strategy consulting, but have also a nonprofit that I run around basketball training yes. and a prep school. And so I think every one of these kind of, and my side hustles to this day have still made me not a single penny, which is, you know, uh, I, I guess the way I've chosen my passions, right. But, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. more, but where they've given me value is that, each of them makes me so much better at my job that does pay me. And so yes. for this podcast, for example, there's been a number of occasions where I've had, you know, a C-level executive on here that I didn't get a chance to speak to beforehand. So there's no chemistry. So I, yes. I jump into an interview, having done my research, watched videos on them or whatever the case is, speaking, spoken to their PR team, but have to immediately build chemistry and rapport and trust so that we're, yes. so that we have an engaging you know, organic conversation because I, as I mean, you're experiencing this right now, I don't throw a bunch of prepared questions at my guests. I love to let their yes. journey take us on the ride that the conversation is going to, going to go on. Right. And so, yes. so, but that has made me exceptionally good at building that same kind of chemistry with executives when I'm about to present to them in a professional or corporate environment in my consulting job. And then similarly on the, the, 
nonprofit side, I have to speak to audiences that are so diametrically opposite to the corporate world and flex my ability to adapt in, mm. in such a way that then gives me entirely new appreciation and patience and tactics for dealing with a wide variety of people in my professional space. And so, you know, there's, I can name n number of other benefits, right? But to your point, using side hustles to develop skills in parallel while also building your brand or whatever other benefits could come from them, I, I think is such a valuable use of one's time and energy over and above their day job. Um, I, I cannot support that path of thinking enough. Um, and obviously you being immensely successful, having done the same thing and then them actually having turned into your primary businesses in your career. I don't think there's any better proof of that, right? Than it kind of giving you the flexibility and choice down the line. Um, I'd love to, from here, pivot to a concept that you shared during one of our kind of lead up conversations, this idea of uh, entrepreneurship and how powerful it can be for people and employees in general. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So entrepreneurship is basically acting like an entrepreneur when you are in a corporate position. So it's bringing that level of innovation and creativity to the job that you have in your in, in in your corporate world or what have you. The beauty of this is that there's a lot less risk involved, right? Yeah. You're not full on entrepreneur. You're not out there going there, testing things all on your own. Um, you're doing it within your corporation, within the business that you work for. Uh, and it gets you noticed and gets you seen that level of impact or that level of curiosity, that level of persistence, that degree of go get it attitude is going to get you noticed by the people who are above you and the people who have the ability to uh, promote you. And it also helps you develop skills. It helps you develop the skills that you are going to need if you do decide to make that entrepreneurial jump. But even if you don't, it's going to help you really develop the skills that you need to rise up in your organization. And so I encourage people, if you're not ready to, if you're even thinking, Hey, I might want to go off and do my own thing one day. Right. In addition to thinking about the side hustles, thinking about the, you know, informational interviews, the small things that you can do, what ways can you show up as an entrepreneur in the job that you have right now? What ways can you show how innovative, how creative, how, um, you know, aggressive you are in the position that you have already with the people that you have working around you in that moment of time and allow that to help you build the skills and strengthen the muscles that you're going to need when you're on your own, but also allow you to advance in the position that you already have. I, I yeah, absolutely. I think that makes absolute sense. Um, and I, I love the idea of kind of training the muscle a concept, right? Because mm. I think that's, it's, it's, it's exactly what that is, right? And I think that could be applied to kind of any skill set, right? Whether it's public speaking or otherwise. So I, I love that um, kind of sentiment. I, I also, you know, coming from the world of consulting, I think, you know, people laugh at it, but, you know, par part of consulting is being able to quickly ramp up on a topic or a knowledge area or a tool or, or a concept and, and be able to speak as if an expert on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I'm curious because as I kind of heard you articulating your journey through journalism and being editor and the types of different articles that you were writing or the topics you were interviewing people on, or then being in the public eye, um, to discuss, 
you know, how did you manage the kind of uh, imposter syndrome that could come with having to develop knowledge around all of these topics and write on them with a level or speak on them with a level of authority, right? Because obviously, right, for somebody to be an expert on as many things as a, you know, some consultants to be claimed, they are, or as a writer may write on, right, it, it is simply done on the heels of a ton of research, but not necessarily with the same credentialization as like a professional in that space until obviously later in your career, you became one in the, in the health and wellness space. But how did you manage that? Or how did, as in terms of confidently writing about or speaking to these topics that you were very quickly learning about for the purpose of, of creating content? I would say three things. One is getting very clear on purpose. Mm. Why am I doing this? And this is a huge question in the entrepreneur real world. You know, people are constantly trying to get in touch with their why in general, right? That's the fire that fuels your business. As a journalist, I'm focused on my purpose in terms of what, why am I doing this? I want people, what do I want people to get out of this story? Right. And how am I going to make sure that they get what they need out of this piece? I don't need to be, um, you know, I'm, you know, I don't need to be a professor at a university um, who specializes in biochemistry in order to interview someone who is and translate their knowledge into something that the average person is going to be able to understand and implement in their lives. So I focus very much on my purpose. Why am I doing this? Because I want to help people. And this is the method through which I'm helping people. So uh, part, because part of you, you mentioned imposter syndrome, which I'm very thankful I've never had as a interview as, as an interviewer, even though I've interviewed some very big name people. Yeah. And part of that might be the New Yorker in me. New Yorkers are very <laughs> cash about celebrities. We see them all the time on the street, but also knowing your purpose and your intention and my intention being to help that can quell some of your imposter syndrome because it's not about me being bragging to my friends that I interviewed so-and-so it's I'm here to help. I'm here to support. I'm here to create some kind of ripple effect with other people. So what do I need to do to make that happen? Another part of it is just preparation. You, the same way that you prepare for your guests, every, everybody who puts that time into preparation can quell any fears that they have or that level of imposter syndrome that they have. I would always come to interviews with a base level of knowledge of what we were going to be talking about, but you don't know what you don't know. This right. person I'm interviewing has devoted their entire life to whatever topic we're discussing. So there's no way that I should be able to best them in terms of the questions that I'm asking or what have yeah. you. I'm here to learn and I'm here to help. So preparation is absolutely key. It can calm you down to have this kind of base level of knowledge and to be aware that no matter what, this person is going to know more than me. And then I would say the last part of this and I think this is really important. I wish I had brought this up earlier because we are talking about, for a lot of what we're talking about are muscles that people have not used at all. And I think we all know what it feels like when you go to the gym that first time after a really yeah. long time <laughs> and you work out and you're like, that felt great. And then the next day you're like, Ooh, 
Yep. <laughs> that hurt. I'm discovering muscles that I didn't even know I had. It hurts places I didn't even know that I could feel. Right. So it is hard at first, but the analogy of the muscles works. The more you do it, unless it hurts, the stronger you get um, and the, the better you get at whatever the task is. And so persistence is the last piece of the puzzle that I think is so important. It's not about trying it one time and saying, oh, that isn't for me. Because if I had tried uh, doing television one time, yeah. <laughs> you know, before I got the training, once I got the training, I was good. But if I had tried it one time, it would have been like, that was terrifying. I never want to do it again. Um, Or even (laughs) um, the New York City Marathon was uh, recently happened and a friend of mine did it and she texted me afterwards. She said, I don't know why anybody would do that more than once. I've done it (laughs) twice. (laughs) And I said, wait a couple weeks and see how you feel about it then. Because the memory wears off and you're like, oh, I want to run that race again or I'm ready to have my next kid. You know, so I say persistence, keep at it, do it more than once, do it more than twice. It does get easier. And you have to remember that, you know, somebody once said success is not the absence of failure. It's the persistence through failure. Mm-hmm. You persist through the failure. You persist through the, that didn't go exactly the way that I wanted it to. And then you get to the point where I know what it takes. I know what I have to do. And it's going to turn out exactly the way I hoped or even better. So I absolutely love that. First and foremost, that statement, I immediately had to write it down. This idea of the, that success is not the absence of failure. It's the, the persistence through failure. This, you know, the idea of testing and learning, the idea of failing forwards, the idea of breaking things fast, right? To be able to, to, to fix and figure out and kind of progress and get better. It all kind of intertwines into that. But I just love how succinct that statement is. And I think it is so so accurate. Uh, and and yeah. I think, you know, across the 120 something episodes of this podcast I've had, that has been an absolute through line through any successful mm. career journey that any failure or obstacle or setback or pivot was always mitigated by force of will, by hard work, by persistence. Right. And I, I think that echoing that through this conversation, yes. it, I, I love the way that you've kind of articulated that. Now, I would love to just given kind of the, the industry that you play in. And, and of course, over the last year, we've had this a hugely fast and aggressive onset of AI and its accessibility to the mass, the masses and the general public. And suddenly it's ease of use and, and applicability to so many different areas, right? Through chat GPT and other tools that surround it. I am very curious whether it's ghostwriting, whether it's, uh, how you use it in coaching or just in the media space in general, how, cause I mean, you mentioned the AI a little bit earlier in the conversation. How is that yeah. going to change this space? How's that going to change the way that you approach clients potentially and help them prepare for media or does it at all for that specific area? But I have to think that for example, for writing in general, for ghostwriting, it does have an impact. And I'm very curious as somebody so embedded in the space, um, what your perspective on that is. I think that AI is an incredibly powerful tool that will help us all perform better at our job, our respective jobs. Right. So it's a matter of figuring out because AI is so much bigger than just chat, chat GPT, right? So, but it's a matter of figuring out 
how can AI support me in what I do so that it frees up more time, right, from the mundane stuff that I can really sit in my zone of genius and my zone of creativity? Because we are not at a place where AI has the level of creativity or skill or editing or can even tell the difference between fact and fiction at times and what is true and what someone has made up on a website. So it's really important to remember that we are not able to take humans completely out of the equation just yet. And I think it's going to take a while for that. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. And when you think about those things, I tend to think in, about AI in terms of what are some what are some you know things that if I had like an AI personal assistant, you know, how could they help free up my time by me asking them very you know general questions like right. that, so I have less time doing kind of busy work in my life and more time focused on the creative work, on the one-on-one coaching that I do, on sitting down with you know my corporate clients and helping make sure that they absolutely knock it out of the park in their next presentation or on the next time they're on, on television. So that's one piece of the puzzle. What are the what are the you know kind of if I had a personal assistant, okay, I don't, but I have AI. How can AI help me? Then there are the people who are using AI at their actual, you know, jobs for their work. And I have to tell you, I, you know, I had a client once um, where I was ghostwriting some content for her, and she came to the call and she said, "I, I use ChatGPT, and I came up with these titles." Um, that I, I think could be really good for the content that we're working on. We did not use any of those titles. <laughs> and not because I, you know, I read them on, I was like, okay, um, I see where you're going, but now let's talk, you know, here's, here's why these don't work. And here's why I'm going to ask you some questions and I'm going to go away and I'm going to be able to come up with what is going to work a lot better for us. Right. If, you are in your zone of genius when you are working with AI, you can get somewhere with it. Me as a journalist, as a writer, I know the questions to ask. I know what looks wrong. I know what looks right. I know what sounds wrong. I know how to, I know how to, manipulate the machine. Right. If it's not, and you're like, I'm just going to go here and do this. And, you know, I work in accounting, but I'm going to use ChatGPT to write a book. It is not going to work the same for you. The same way that I wouldn't use ChatGPT or similar AI to do something accounting related. Right. Right. It's like giving someone a tool. You have to use the tools that are appropriate for your zone of genius. When you pick up someone else's tool it is not likely you are going to get the same impact. So I encourage people use it, use it to get rid of that busy work that you need to get rid of in your life and use it in your zone of genius. But when you step out, it's going to be a lot more complicated for you. And that's where you need to lean on experts and people who know, know what they're, know what they're doing in that realm. That that's the thing that they do all day long, all day strong. I love that. I, I, I think, you know, even as you kind of talk about that, having the, the humility to understand that it's a tool that can help you more quickly get into and sit in your zone of genius or creativity yes. for longer, but it's not necessarily going to go uh, be the tool that helps you jump in and sit in somebody else's zone of genius. And so yeah. having the humility to understand that I think is a powerful thing. And, and for the time being in its current state or even immediate near term state, the tool, you know, how, how to use it in a, in a more powerful way for each individual. I think that makes a ton of sense. And that's an exciting way for me to kind of hear it articulated. Um, 
I think that this has been a hugely energizing conversation, Linya, and I've personally taken an enormous amount of value out of it, and I have no doubt that listeners have also. So just wanted to say a huge thank you for your openness and willingness to come on and and donating your time and and willingness to share your journey, because this has been a phenomenal conversation. So thank you so much. It was absolutely my pleasure. I am so glad that so many people are going to be able to have that ripple effect, take that information and pass it along. And hopefully I will get to connect with some of your listeners in the future. Thank you.